The scripture reading for this morning is from 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Let's go ahead and pray together. Lord God, what a privilege it is to serve you. You are the almighty conquering king. You are the one who stands this very minute in victory. And because we are your children, we also too stand in victory through faith. Lord, thank you for the privilege that it is to open up your word and to see what you have revealed to us. Thank you for speaking to us, Lord God, and making yourself known to us, your children. And Lord, I thank you for the privilege to serve your church. Thank you for making us active participants, Lord God, in your church and in your kingdom. What a privilege it is. And Lord, I pray that you would simply speak through your word this morning. I ask, God, that your Holy Spirit would be present as it is already. I pray that you would continue to finish the good work that you've begun here this morning. And I beg, Lord God, that we would allow you to have your rightful place as ruler and king in all the aspects of our lives. That we would find the joy of obeying you and keeping your commandments. So help us, Lord God. We ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So we continue our series this morning on 1 John by looking at chapter 5 where John turns a corner and he starts paying a little bit more attention to our faith. And our roles as believers in exercising uh, faith in the living God. And I think at the end of the day, John is pointing to the reality that a person's way of life is ultimately determined by what they believe or what their faith is rooted in. So the course of a person's life is affected ultimately by what you believe. I remember a story about a visitor from a warm weather climate, came to Minnesota in the wintertime, and his friend was showing him around, and he, they went to a lake. And as we know, lakes in Minnesota freeze, and you can even drive your cars on them, which is kind of interesting if you think about it. And this person, um, the local, was sliding around on the ice having a great time while 
the visitor was standing on the shore, kind of timid, as he described it, and he had a hard time bringing himself to go slide around on the ice. Well, what's the difference between the two guys? One sliding, one sitting on the shore. And I think, at the end of the day, one of them believes that the ice will hold him up, and the other one doesn't have that kind of faith, right? And there, we see the drastic difference. It's just a kind of a snapshot of how what you believe actually does determine the course of actions that you take in your life. So, that's why John, I think, addresses believers' faith and how we exercise that. So with that, let's jump right into our passage. 1 John chapter 5, 1 through 5. And um, John says, right off the bat, that if you have been born of God, then you believe that Jesus is the Christ. Now notice what is true of those who are born of God. So first... Let's just go through the passage here. I want to just kind of give everybody kind of a framework to work within. They love God, and they love those who have been born of God. And in the first three verses alone, John mentions the word love five times. So he's really emphasizing this theme of love, 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 love. Right. So if you read through those first three verses, you'll see love appear five different times. And what's interesting is at that point it just kind of drops off the table. It's not mentioned anymore throughout the passage. And then sandwiched in there is um, kind of a emphasis on obeying God's commands. So you'll see commandments come up three different times in verses 2 and 3. And then that ends. And then in verses 4 and 5, the last two verses, you'll see this theme of overcoming the world. And that's mentioned three different times. So if you read through those two verses there at the end, you have um, this emphasis on the one who overcomes the world. And then at the very end of the passage, as the bookend, it starts with those who are born of God believe that Jesus is the Christ. And at the end, it's those who overcome the world are those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So you see the kind of the sandwich, believing in Jesus, and in the middle there you have love, obeying commandments, and then overcoming the world. So that's kind of how I took the title of my sermon there. So John seems to be describing the person born of God as the person who believes that Jesus is the Christ. And if that's true... If that is true of you, that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, then these people will be characterized by love, loving the Father, and loving anyone else that has been born of the Father. They will be characterized by those who keep the commandments of God. They desire to keep the commandments of God. And third, they will overcome the world through their faith. And on that note, I want to start off. I know it's kind of the end of the passage, but I really want to give us a clear picture of what overcoming the world is all about. And I think as that becomes clearer, the rest of the things will kind of make more sense. So that's where I'm going to start, overcoming the world. What does that mean? And more specifically, what does the Bible mean by world? I think that's a good question, actually. A couple of weeks ago, 
I was teaching a lesson for the, the teenagers, and I stopped and asked myself, you know, the idea of world is a little bit vague in my thinking. What does the Bible mean when it talks about world in a figurative way? What does it actually mean by world? When it says that we should not love the world and so on and so forth, or that we overcome the world. Well, I want to take us to Genesis 11. So if you guys want to open up your Bibles there, you can. But if, of course, many of us know that in Genesis 11, we read the story about the Tower of Babel. Okay? So you guys have probably all heard that story a thousand times. But it gives us, I think, an interesting picture of what the world is when the Bible describes the world. Now, as the story goes, we have mankind on the earth, and they're a sinful race, and they decide, hey, let's build a tower, and we'll build it up to the heavens, and so on and so forth. Yeah, let's do that. And then, of course, God sees what's going on, and he decides to end the project, right? And he does so by confusing the language and scattering everybody else out on the face of the earth. Now the question we have to answer is, why does God end the project? Why is he so upset with what's going on here? What's really the big deal about man building a big tower? Well, let's read in verse 4. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a, t- a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves. Right there. Let us make a name for ourselves. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the reason why God was prompted to confuse their speech and disperse them over the entire earth is because they were trying to build for themselves a godless kingdom that would be ruled not by God but by their own desires and their own ideals. So a helpful way that we can think of the world as the Bible considers it or talks about it is, or in a figurative sense, is this anti-God establishment that seeks its own glory without any reference or any kind of submission to God's rules, any kind of desire to have God's rules and standards and codes of conduct imposed upon it. We don't want God in our lives. We'll do it ourselves. We'll seek our own glory. And on a more foundational level, it is the core attitude that describes sinful humanity that really doesn't want God in their lives. No thank you. I'll run my own life. I'll do things my own way. And I'll seek my own glory. So this is why James says that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Cannot be friends with the institution that hates God. And 
John himself in chapter 2 says that love, if the love of the world is in you, that worldview that's godless and secular, if, that, if, if that's what drives you, if that worldview is what makes you tick, if that love is in you, then the love of the Father is not in you. They cannot both coexist. They're at odds with each other. In Romans 8, 7, Paul says that the person of the flesh, those who are led by the flesh, are hostile to God. For it does not submit itself to God's laws. Indeed, it cannot. It's impossible. If you are of the flesh, if you are of the worldly mentality, you cannot at the same time be ruled by the world that's anti-God and be submitted to God and His glory and His purpose. Those two things cannot go together. So that's kind of the world and what I'm driving at here. It's like a mighty current. Think of a river. And we'll come back to this a number of times in this message. It's like a mighty current or a fast-moving river. You guys ever been to a river where you wouldn't dare jump in because the current would just sweep you down? And in a sense, that's kind of how sinful humanity finds itself. In this river, really at the mercy of the current. Nobody's really even trying to swim against the current. They're just being swept right down. So, that's the world. Now that we have kind of a clear idea of the world as it talks about it in John 5, 1 John 5, let's talk about overcoming. Overcoming this world. John mentions it three times, as I mentioned in chapter, or in verses 4 and 5. He says that those who are born of God overcome the world. They actually swim against the current. And they're able to successfully make it upstream to the tranquil waters where God and His glory is. Now, the word overcome in the Greek is spelled N-I-K-E. Which, of course, in English is spelled Nike. Really exciting, isn't it? (laughs) So, I don't know if the popular running shoe takes its name after this Greek verb. I really don't care about that. What really matters is, what is this passage or what is this verb actually doing in this context? What is it saying? What does it mean? The same verb that is translated overcome here is also elsewhere translated overcome, but there's also instances where it's translated as conquer. A good example of that is Revelation 5.5, right? Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has conquered so as to take the scroll and open up its seals. Nike, he has overcome. So you get the picture in in your mind. This world is pitted against God and its truth. It is hostile to God's reign and it refuses to submit to God's commands. And all of us as human beings find ourselves in this river with this mighty current flowing away from God. And now John says that we have actually 
swam up the, the current, up the stream. And we have overcome the godless current. We have overcome the selfishness that characterizes the world. We have overcome this live for yourself and we don't want God's commands in our lives. So the question then is, how do we overcome? How did we accomplish that? How did that ever happen? And John points out in verse 4, if you look closely, this is the victory that has overcome the world. He says, our faith, right? Our faith is what has overcome. Now, maybe this poses an issue for you like it did for me. Because... How could it be that it is our faith that has overcome the world? We just read that it was Jesus who conquered. And in John 16.33, if you guys remember that passage, when Jesus is talking to his disciples, he says, in the world you'll have tribulation, right? But take heart. I have overcome the world. So which is it, John? Who has overcome here? Is it our faith that overcomes, or is it Jesus that overcomes the world? So it's worth asking that question. And I think a simple answer to it is, it's both. Both of us. Or, I'm, I'm sorry, I should have said, it's our faith in Jesus that overcomes the world. Jesus does the hard work, but we must exercise faith in Jesus. And that is the instrument by which God enables us to swim up the stream, if, as it were. Our faith is the one active part in our salvation that we are responsible to exercise. Jesus Christ has accomplished all other aspects of salvation. He did it all. But we must exercise faith. We actually have to put our arms in the water and swim. We have to believe. We have to stay connected to Christ. So using the water current illustration again, it is Christ who went before us. He swam upstream. He conquered this godless flow by being obedient to God's commands, by loving God, emptying himself of his glory. He didn't seek his own glory even though he had the right to. He conquers and he makes him up, upstream and he goes to that place in the river where it's tranquil waters and it's clear and so on and so forth. And he looks down at all of the people in this river that are being sucked down and he calls them by name, Kevin. And when Jesus calls, we hear. And he throws us a rope, Right? And he says, hang on to this rope. Hang on to this rope. I will never let go of this end. You do the same. Don't let go. Hang on to that rope. Tie it around your waist. Double it around your wrist so that the harder it pulls it away, the harder the rope will pull on your hand. That's the picture here. Hang on to that rope. It symbolizes faith. We have the hope of overcoming this flow that is anti-God if we are fixed on the Savior who has overcome. So thus, it is Christ who conquers and it is our faith in Him that we exercise that enables us to not get swept down 
So what does overcoming look like? How can I tell if I have overcome? What are some of the fruits in a believer's life that would tell you whether or not you are swimming upstream successfully towards God? And in this passage, he clearly says that it's obedience to God's command. So if you see that list up there, I think it's up there. We're working our way up. We're overcoming. Now one up is obedience to God's commands. So God's commands implies reign, right? He rules. He has authority. If you have no place of authority, you have no reason, you have no grounds to make any kinds of commands or rules. But God does reign, and therefore He makes commands. And obedience to His commands implies at least two things. Here are the two things that I think it implies, or two realities. First of all, as we submit ourselves to God's commands, we actually acknowledge that God reigns, that He is the rightful one in charge of the entire universe. When we obey His commands and submit ourselves to Him, we say, yes, God, you're the king. I will listen to you. I show that by listening to you. And second of all, we are submitted to that particular reign of God. And not only are we submitted to His reign, but now we are active participants in His kingdom. He is reigning. He is ruling. He's here are the rules by which you play by in my kingdom. And as you play by those rules, now we take part in God's kingdom reign versus this world's anti-God rule. So notice too that God's reign is a reign of love, which His commands reflect. Now if you have had any chance to make rules, and if you live in a household, perhaps if you're a leader of a house, if you're in charge of something, you have the privilege and the responsibility to make rules. And you would understand that rules reflects your convictions, your character, and your ideals, right? So it is with God. When He makes commands, they reflect His heart. And He says in this passage that when we love God, when we obey His commands, that we actually, at the same time, we love the brothers. Why is that? Why is that simultaneous? The reason why it's simultaneous is because God's commands reflects His love. So when we obey His commands, we carry out and we expand and extend the loving reign of God into all the earth as we love the brothers and sisters. So overcoming the world means that we become agents who extend the love of God. And by so doing, as we obey commands and extend the love of God, we participate, we become active participants in the reign of God, in His kingly reign, in His kingdom. Now, a second, a second way perhaps to detect whether or not you are born of God and whether or not this is bearing fruit and you are an overcomer of the world is by um, loving anyone else who is born of God. And I kind of alluded to that already. So if you have love for those who also belong to God, then this is a fruit of you being an overcomer of the world through faith. 
So I once knew a guy who learned um, that uh, Chipotle was owned by McDonald's. And apparently that's not true anymore. It's no longer owned by McDonald's. But when he heard that, he was like, oh, boy, I don't know if I could eat there anymore. And the reason for that is because he wasn't the biggest fan of McDonald's, and he understood that if now Chipotle is owned by McDonald's, um, then it would be carried out by the ideals of the one who owns it, right? So all the practices and all that would be carried out in that as well. So he thought, oh, I don't know if I like it. But let's just pretend that he was offered part owner in McDonald's, right? And his heart was overcome, and now he likes McDonald's a lot. Naturally, he would also like Chipotle, because it's now governed by McDonald's, which he likes. And that's kind of how it is with believers and God. As our heart is overcome, and we're no longer resistant to God, we love the Father now, and a natural overflow of that is loving anybody else who is also ruled by him and his commands. So those are a couple of the fruits there. And I want to take kind of a longer conclusion this morning. So as we wrap up this morning, I want to answer this question. How does overcoming the world through faith translate into everyday life? So let's wrestle with that. Through faith, we've heard, we overcome we conquer. So what? That's what I ask myself. Really? Okay. How does this relate to everyday life? What does that mean on a practical level? That I overcome, I conquer. Well, first one, God's commands are not burdensome or oppressive. But... When God's love works through us as believers, when His love works in and through our hearts, it leads us to happily and eagerly want to keep His commands. And keeping God's commands, brothers and sisters, keeping God's commands leads us to joy and contentment. When we live in submission to the king who loves us and tells us this is the way you should live your life. When we obey that, there's happiness and joy and contentment in that. Right? It's kind of like in a household. Some of you have raised kids. Some of you are raising children right now. When are things happy and joyful in your home? Is it not when your kids obey the rules that you have put in place? It's every once in a while we get a taste of well-ordered homes. <laughs> every once in a while. Where the kids obey, and when that happens, mom and dad are happy, and the kids are hitting each other and fighting and arguing over the fact that they can't do this or that. And rather, they're working within the confines and the parameters of the home, and they're obeying those commands, and everybody is more joyful, right? That's how it is for us as believers. When we obey God, and we are joyfully submitted to God, then we 
find happiness and contentment in the life that God has ordained for us to live. He really does know what we need. And I think that that relates to finding our, or overcoming. This is how it relates to overcoming. We can have the hope of being obedient to God. There are, in reality, even us, as believers, perhaps you've been walking with Christ for a long time, there are still remnants in your heart that really don't want to obey God. Right? There are times where God's commands, no, 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 I don't really want to do that. I want to do it my way. And you insist on that, and it's really difficult. But as you hang on to the rope, as it were, and as you put your faith into Jesus, as you exercise that faith, more and more of your heart becomes under submission to God's rule, and you have the opportunity and the confidence and the assurance that you will, more and more so, find joy in keeping God's commands. Progressively so we will become more and more obedient to God's commands. And really, that's what the hope of heaven is. When we think about the new, our lives on the new earth, we think about the fact that sin will be rooted out of our hearts, and we realize the reality that we will never ever want to disobey God. We will never ever be rebellious to His rule. We will be in perfect submission to it. And that's why heaven will be a place of unending joy. Because we will be in perfect sync with God. And that's the progression that we are going on. And we have the hope of making progress because, John says, we have overcome. We are no longer dictated and totally at the mercy of this stream or this flow that is flowing down down uh, away from God, but we have the hope of continuing on towards God. So second, second way that being an overcomer, being a conqueror through faith in Jesus Christ, relates on a practical level, is this example. I'm going to give you a painted picture of a boat that's tied to a dock. Similar idea, right? And there's a, uh, there's a rainstorm that comes up. There's howling wind and driving rain and the water is shaking and the boat is about to be shaken loose from its connection to the dock and the wind threatens to drive it out to the middle of the ocean where it would be lost forever. That might feel, or you might feel like that boat every once in a while with the temptation to sin or maybe the temptation to go the way of the world. And I don't know about you, but every once in a while, from time to time in my life, it is like the temptations of the world or the ways of the world, their loose living, the easy way, the wide gate that leads to destruction, it really doesn't feel like that from time to time. It feels like, hey, what's the big deal? Why can't we just go down that way? Why can't we just join the crowd and go with the flow? It seems so easy and they seem so happy. Why can't we just go that way? And it might feel like a gale that comes up and just shakes you and threatens to break you loose from Christ. And I'm saying that the only thing that will hang on or that will hold you in that storm 
is your faith in Jesus Christ. At that point, you must exercise faith in Christ. And your hope that He has overcome the world is your confidence to keep holding on. The reality that Jesus has overcome the world, He has disarmed Satan and all of the rulers and authorities, means that the things that tempt you so strongly will, at some point, lose its power to tempt you any longer. And even though for a season you feel like, I just don't think I'll ever have joy in God again, I just think I would be so much happier to go this way. Take heart and hang on to that rope. Don't let go. He will not let go of you. And over time, by faith, exercising faith in the overcoming Lamb of God, all of those temptations will render powerless. The gale will stop. The winds will stop howling. They will stop beating on the boat. And you will again enter into the joy of serving God and loving God. And you will be reminded, wow, how could I have ever been tempted by that ever? And your joy in God actually goes up over time. So that's a hope that I would offer to you, brothers and sisters. That when those storms of temptation or sin. Here's another way that we can apply it. I don't know, but sometimes I have a loose tongue. And when I'm with my spouse or people, it's easy to backstab people. It's a sin. And sometimes I feel like that desire to sin, that temptation comes up upon me and it's like I just can't help but say what I want to say and gratify my fleshly desires. In that moment, hang on to the rope. You might feel that current pulling you with all the force of the world trying to shake you loose. And the only thing that will save you from saying what you want to say and entertaining the sin that you are tempted by is by the hope that soon this desire will pass. Soon I'll see clearly and I will see the fact that I have overcome through faith and no longer does this have dominion over me. So I hope that that's helpful for you as it was for me. And last, a last implication. Loving the world as God loved the world. Not tolerance of it, but loving. Jesus overcame the world and your heart by love. So think about that for just a minute here. Think about how Jesus has overcome the world. He's done it by love. What's the picture that we get in our minds when we think about conquering someone or something? When I asked myself that question, I thought about when I was a little kid and we used to play um, video games on our 8-bit Nintendo Entertainment System, right? And we would play our games and we try to make it to the last level and at each level, pretty, pretty typical, there was an enemy that you had to overcome and beat. And the way that we did it is hurling bombs and pressing the buttons so many times there's fire buttons, shoot, 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 destroy, destroy, destroy. So many times that your thumb would get sore, we used to call it Nintendo thumb. Those of my generation know what Nintendo thumb is because your thumb gets sore. And then we'd go to our friends and say, yeah, I conquered that game. Or we figured out the puzzle. We conquered. Right? That's kind of the picture that we get in our minds when we think about conquering. But think about how Jesus has conquered. Think about how he has overcome. He didn't do it with destructive bombs. 
He overcame and he defeated his enemies by love. Isn't that amazing? It's totally foreign to us. He overcame by love and therefore he has given us a pattern not only to love brothers and sisters but to love the world that hates God as well. We don't hate the world. And brothers and sisters, ask yourself, do you have hatred really at the core of your heart? Do you have hatred for those who aren't submitted to Christ as well? That's not how Jesus felt about them. He died for them. He showed them love. And as we have faith in Christ, as we hang on to that rope, we can have the confidence to love the unlovely people, to love those who really are resistant to us and to to God as well. And we can have the hope and the confidence that if we demonstrate the same kind of love to Jesus uh, as Jesus demonstrated to the world, that they too can be overcome and maybe God would use you as an agent by which he does that through. So that's an implication as we take heart in the fact that we have overcome the world by our faith, we can use that as a gospel witnessing opportunity. Who is it in your life that seems really hopeless and so far gone? Maybe it's a neighbor, maybe a relative that you just have no hope for. You've all but given up on them. Well, perhaps you can continue to love them as you put your faith in the one who has overcome And you can trust in Him for the outcome. And who knows, maybe God would use you, as I said. So if we're connected to Jesus, and He has overcome, just as He has overcome the world, He will enable us to do that as well. We can fight sin and temptation. We can increasingly become more and more submitted to God's commands and love and find joy in God. And we can have an evangelistic output. And you guys could probably think of a ton more implications here. But my last encouragement to you all is, Christ is the one who stands in victory. So don't let go of the rope. Don't take your eyes off of Christ and get sucked down the godless flow. He will give you joy in serving Him. Just hang on tight. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your words of life. And I just pray again that whatever is of you, Lord, would stick. And however you have spoken to each individual here, I just ask, God, that you would continue that work. Help us, Lord God, to live in the reality that we are victorious through our faith in Jesus Christ. And help us, Lord God, as we encounter difficulties. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't take that as a symbol of defeat, but as a loving opportunity to exercise faith in you. And as we grow in our faith, O Lord, I pray that we would be more submitted to your commands. I pray that, Lord, we would be stronger in resisting temptation. And I pray, Lord God, that we would be more hopeful and more bold in sharing the gospel. So we pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.